0: This is Todd Norwood, here with Jason Hammond, my co-host for the Performance Cycling Podcast. Welcome to our fourth episode. Uh, Welcome back. Thanks for listening, if you're still with us here. uh, So our question this week, Jason, is what's your favorite ergogenic aid?
1: This is our intro question, not our big...
0: Yeah, but not the big topic.
1: My favorite is beet juice. Okay. I've had a lot of success in road races when I've had beet juice, and it feels like your legs can't fatigue until they do. And then you just blow <laughs> up. But of course, you know, we it's been shown that when you if you have somebody who takes like painkillers and they can't feel anything, they just go super hard and, and like blow themselves up. So bee juice will help you do that if that's what you want.
0: Alright. I I've, I've, I've used deep juice before. Um, mm-hmm. mostly for high altitude races. Okay. There's some benefit there in theory. Um, I'm actually gonna go with caffeine. Uh, for this one. Okay. Um, it's right. It's one of the ones that's most proven out. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I do like a good cup of coffee. So it's kind okay. of two for one, right? Yeah, it has performance an... benefit okay. and I, I enjoy coffee. so we'll go, Okay.
1: And then we'll go with uh, that. Um, an honorable mention will be bitter orange, which you shouldn't use bitter orange, but uh,
0: do you not... know anything about it? No, 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 no. Um,
1: it's a thermogenic aid, so it helps energy production. Uh-huh. But a lot of people take it because it just makes them warm feeling, because. Basically, your whole body is just producing more energy. And uh, I found it to be, uh, weightlifters use it to lose weight, but also it can be helpful on endurance rides as long as you don't overheat. That's the biggest. We're Cyclists are limited by you know heat production, so it, it can have some
0: downsides there. Yeah, I was going to say the uh, honorable mention would be baking soda.
1: Whoa. Yeah,
0: it helps with acid buffering, but a lot of times the dose is so high and i don't i don't remember exactly exact how per kilo i think it's you like need. i it's, think i need
1: like 20 grams. it's it's yeah. quite a bit
0: and usually it causes <laughs> gastric distress before yeah. you actually realize the then so I mean, i've never maybe, tried baking so maybe you would ride fast You just ride fast to the nearest port mm.
1: yeah and um well the the former south african time trial champion got caught um with like an illegal substance, and he claimed it was from the capsules he used to take baking soda. He claimed they were contaminated. So so we know at least one professional athlete thinks they're going to use baking soda, but, you know. Maybe or
0: maybe not.
1: Yeah. (laughs) So um, my question today, or not question, but topic, is uh, inside testing, which that's I-N-S-C-Y-D, inside. It's one of those fancy acronyms we have out here in the Valley and uh, it's actually, I believe it's um, a European company and they they do, they call it metabolic testing. And basically it's a full panel cycling test. uh, Whereas, you know, we have FTP, this attempts to look at all of your energy systems and all of the ways that you could be categorized as a cyclist. So you would do um, a sprint effort, a four minute effort, and then a 20 minute effort as part of the protocol. And then, taking those numbers you can crunch them and you can look at uh you can characterize an individual by their different engines Mm -hmm. so to start this out i want to say that just to go over it we have three engines uh our what uh, creatine phosphate Mm -hmm. our glycolytic capacity and then our aerobic engine and so the goal of inside testing is to try to characterize all of these and so the creatine phosphate that's your short 10 second 15 second burst your glycolytic capacity is 90 seconds or less. Some say two minutes, and then your aerobic engine is like just long term, just oxygen. So um, the way that inside testing does this is it does a sprint effort. That's the first test you do, which is a 10 second sprint, mm-hmm. which it's seated. So uh, personally, I don't produce much power seated. Um, Compared to out of the saddle. So that's going to be a little bit low. I don't know if I really understand the sprinting part of the test, but uh, the next one is a four minute effort. And the first 90 seconds are full gas, as if you're only doing a 90 second effort. And then you have to slog it out for two and a half minutes as hard as you can.
0: So your legs are
1: really heavy. Yeah. So, you know. I think that it's good to do, I don't know how many people do 90-second efforts. Do you do 90-second intervals?
0: Uh, that's my train, but I haven't gotten that yet this year. Okay, so it's terrible.
1: Yeah, so those are the worst ones, but um, a great example is that's the perfect attacking interval because it's not, you do the sprint and then you hold it for another 60 seconds. Um, and, you know, like Philippe Gilbert, when he won the World Championships, is probably the most prominent example of someone who really has a good 90-second and can execute on it. So, um You do this 90-second effort, and you're like, oh, crap, my legs feel awful. And then you have to just do whatever you can to try and do as much as you can for those last two and a half minutes. And it's really cool because you really flatten out. After the 90 seconds, you have this sort of decay, and then it really gets flat for the last two and a half minutes when you look at your power numbers. And that's because you've burnt off all of the... I think it's the creatine, definitely the creatine phosphate. Yeah, that
0: was gone in ten seconds. Yeah,
1: but I think also you don't you you burn off most of your glycolytic capacity, but you are basically like taxing only your VO2 max um, in the last two and a half. I don't know. I like you're you're taxing the the rate of your glycolytic, your rate of your glycolytic to refresh itself.
0: Is that correct? yeah you're trying to catch up at that point basically right like you're, you're trying to do two things sometimes because you could if you just stopped right now you could recover more mm-hmm. readily but now you can now you're trying to run your aerobic engine and you're just kind of backfilling right for the yes yeah, so you you've
1: burnt through your glycolytic part and it's refilling itself very slowly but you're using it up as soon as it refills yep. um, so it looks at your steady state glycolytic capacity um And so that's the four minute test and that one's awful. And then you wait like 20 minutes and you do what track sprinters do, which is you ride at like 30 cadence for like 20 minutes. And you just like, you know, try to just forget that you're in the middle of a supper fest. And then the 20 minute effort is the same idea, but it's four minutes is the burn off portion. And then you do 16 minutes uh, at as hard as you can and you end up flattening out for that. So for that one, um, that one's really cool. I like that because after the four minutes, you want to push on the pedals harder, but your body physically can't because you've burnt through all everything except for your aerobic engine.
0: And you've also accumulated some acid. Yeah. Instead of doing, and muscles exposed, exposed to an acidic environment don't contract as hard. Okay. They
1: can. Yeah, so, like, I just remember... I've I've done the test twice now, and at like the five, six, seven minute point, you're looking at your power meter, and you think you want a certain number, and no matter how hard you push, you think you're pushing on those legs, they will not go any harder, Um, and that's because the power production is is backfilling of your um, glycolytic capacity, your your lactic acid shuttling, and then also your aerobic engine combined.
0: So I'd like to talk about, last week a little bit, the difference between type 1 and type 2 fibers comes into play. Okay. Your type 2 your glycolytic fibers, those are going to be the ones that you activate when you're doing more force production. If you've exhausted your glycolytic capacity, mm-hmm. you're not really going to be able to recruit those type 2 fibers as readily. Okay. So now you can only use the aerobic type 1 fibers, and those yeah. don't produce, they can produce force for a long time, but they don't produce as much force. Okay, so yeah. This it, this makes sense.
1: <laughs> so, and then the other thing that I noticed on this longer effort was the sort of decay in form. Mm-hmm. Um, I, For me personally, like 12, 13, 14 minutes is really when it starts to get ragged. Um, and, you know, our favorite, Thibaut Pino is like a really uh, ugly bike racer sometimes. And um, I think that that is another thing that if I wanted to score higher on the test, I would... Try to focus on, or, or try to figure out how to maintain form, because it, it really felt like once my form went, the power went with it.
0: That that makes sense. This 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 brings up a different question I have about my own my own learnings. Okay. Right. So like I definitely notice if I go uh, like an effort that's challenging me, like a longer effort like that, my cadence certainly decays over time. Yeah. Right. Like start at 100, 105, that's fine. I'm producing the power, but you get towards, for me, I get 15 or 17 minutes into like a 20 minute effort. Like, eh, 100 and 105 is gone, and it's, you know, yeah, 80, 80, 89, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe 85, which to me is slow. Like, to me, that's like glacial yeah. cadence. So, <laughs> I, and, and yeah, my form goes with that. It's like, I'm, now I'm just trying to like push the pedals however I can push them.
1: Yeah, um, and I, I always wondered with the form, um, drop-offs if you start to just recruit um, only the major muscles and it's easier to recruit the only the major muscles at a lower cadence uh, because you have more time through that powerful portion of the pedal stroke
0: at a lower cadence I can, I can support that that makes sense to me
1: so um, I mean I know that in the past uh, like when we first started working I was like such a quaddy rider um, I only cared about like one o'clock to four o'clock, mm-hmm. um, and I'm a little bit better now. But I think that when the form
0: decays, it's like,
1: that's nah, screw it, we're going back to to one to four o'clock.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, it's a it's a habit, right? and it mm-hmm. works to a certain extent, so you you do it subconsciously. Even. It'd be interesting actually to look at that test and look at your
1: you uh, can for me. It's a it's a cliff. Yeah, you, you, it, I'm like 90-90, 70, and the last six minutes are just seventy flat.
0: I'm even thinking, like looking at your your power output, like you got uh, instrument pedals, and looking at where that force mm. is coming throughout the pedal stroke. It would be interesting to see if there's something that you can can learn about yeah. that. Like, I mean, you could, you know, if you knew that, you could then back out which muscles were more likely to be
1: working. Hmm. Yeah. So um, I don't think Quark, do, Quark like Garmin connected power meters, do one interval per second. Is that correct? And like SRMs, you can get the curve.
0: Yeah, and I think the pedals, right, like uh, the power power dynamics pedals that do the power. Right? I, think, I think that those are be more sensitive to tell you.
1: Yeah, right? I well, I think the the head unit is really the limiter, right, because of yeah, how powerful it, it records. Yeah. So yeah, that would be really interesting. Um, as soon as we just have all that money to, and all, to all spend, the spend. Yeah, <laughs> so uh, we're just gonna actually just flip through the report and talk about it a little bit. Um, I guess we should say like we're not affiliated with inside at all um, the the thing that I found really interesting about this was the whole okay burn off your engines and then just try to keep going and that was the first time that I really kind of understood I think that we all have followed our friends up climbs and you just hit a wall hit a wall at some point point. and I think hitting the wall is when you have maxed out your lactic acid production and you start backfilling. And that only clicked in my head once I had blown it out completely, you know, intentionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's good because it, it reminds you, it, it helps you learn about your body and what you're feeling in the moment and why.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then I, I think that can be really valuable for strategy. You really start to feel like you're about to hit that point where you can only use your aerobic engine. How am I going to change my tactics? Am I like I'm definitely not going to attack, like you know, um, in a in a bunch or you know if you want to survive a climb or something.
0: But I think we see this in the Tour of France every year, right? And you know, uh, and Shirley Collins, like, oh, he's you know the lights have gone out, right? And like that yeah. that he's just laid out on the line for whatever it was that last kilometer on the climb. He's just going backwards. There's just yeah. nothing. There's nothing left in the tank.
1: Mm. And I, sometimes I wonder though if that's like uh, carb. You just out of carbs, but I don't know. I'd have to think about that more. Uh, You'd think that a professional cyclist is fueled enough.
0: You know, it's probably some of both, right? I I imagine you know, as as much as they can practice nutrition, stuff happens. You know, when you're on the course, so it's hot that day. You You miss a bottle, as many fluids as you're thinking, or you can follow the team leader. That's your role. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you know, it's probably a little bit of both. I do imagine Mm. some of it's like. That person just gone right up to that limit. They went as hard as they could. They're, yeah. They did their job for the day, and now they're gonna suffer the rest of the way up. decline climb yeah. very slowly.
1: Yeah. Well, at least they're close enough that they don't have to worry about the time cut.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah.
1: So uh, let me flip through this. Uh, the first page is just sort of body metrics. Um, so I, I have two reports. I did one right at the new year, and then one um, about ten weeks later, and the one of the big jumps was that i lost four and a half kilos which um, that was a big goal of mine and i'm really happy about to shed that that off-season weight um and i also uh, dropped uh, i think two and a half percent body fat okay. which um, should match up i think so i must have lost some muscle mass but hopefully that's shoulder muscle mass and not quads <laughs> um but the next page is um it gives you rankings for your different metabolic systems. Um, And the coolest thing about this page is that you can set them based on the type of rider you are. So this section for me was set up for a domestic pro, Cat1 domestic pro Mm. range. Um, So on my initial test, I was pretty heavy. It was off season. I had low or very low across the board, except for my total VO2 max. And, which was medium and you know right you like start off your preseason you're like oh man i'm so bad
0: <laughs> well so this looks like it's your vo2 max as measured in uh, the apps oh okay milliliters per minute all right got
1: it yeah so the um they measure it in and milliliters okay. per they minute it per too to yeah yep. um got it. so there you know my value was originally 56 um for my vo2 max and then um I was able to get up to sixty-five
0: in ten weeks. Well, you, you moved you moved both sides of it, presumably, right? Yeah. You so have... I,
1: I lost weight and gained some
0: capacity. Yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, but some of this other stuff that's cool, this VLA max is something they talk about, which is a term that they coined, and that's your maximum volume of lactic acid that you can produce. Interesting. Okay. So it's it's not that it's not one of those that you just get as high as possible, like threshold, let's just get that as high as possible. It's more an indicator of what type of rider you are. So what uh, the type of rider that Chris Froome is, is a very low VLA max, because he's not doing anything with his lactic acid. Whereas um, you look at, I'd probably say the highest are these um, endurance track riders probably. Um,
0: yeah, because they're building they're up and clearing it, presumably, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah, I think. Well, so I think what's unique about Chris Broom or those like super high endurance guys is they're not like they're not accumulating any lack of that. Like they're just such amazing aerobic engines, they don't really accumulate. Like they can put out a really big wattage number with minimal lack of accumulation, where like you and I would be like through the roof putting out that same. Yeah,
1: and it's crazy. It's crazy that they, you know, all of that power production comes from oxygen, like the oxygen pathway. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so VLA Max I think it's um, it, it, It's a good way to describe you as a rider I guess um, I'm a, a medium VLA Max Which that's to, that's to say Sort of like these quick step riders Who they do Parry Roubaix but they also have the kick To get away or to get up the yeah. punchy climbs And stuff like that um, So obviously they're not Their one minute power, their five minute power Isn't the best ever but it's a lot better than these other people they're racing against. Um, mm-hmm. But they're going to take a hit on their just pure threshold numbers. They're not going to be yep. as high. Um, so, you know, knowing what your VLA max is, and it's also uh, adjustable. Uh, so if if, you have, if your VLA, you're a master's crit rider, your VLA max is huge, and you want to transition a little bit more to longer races, you should look at ways to maybe get that down. And mm-hmm. the way you get that down is you focus more on aerobic uh, work.
0: Yeah, so that's sure. a that's a trainable component
1: there. Yeah, so it just gives you an indicator of where you are now and where you might want to go. So um, also, my coach should know how to uh, sort of balance the value. We, it's where we want it to be right now, mm-hmm. but it's a matter of hopefully it doesn't change throughout. We wouldn't want it to dip. I'm working on my threshold right now, mm-hmm. and we wouldn't want it to dip when you're focusing on the, the more aerobic components. Mm -hmm. and also you don't want it to go too high when you're working on the anaerobic components because that could be an indicator that you're losing your aerobic aerobic, uh, capacity. So um, it's just a good thing to keep your eye on. Um, Some other stuff, there's anaerobic threshold, which this also is really cool because um, it also, (laughs) embarrassingly, I guess, didn't click that your aerobic threshold and your FTP, your anaerobic threshold and your FTP are not the same number. Mm -hmm. Your FTP is... The sum of your aerobic capacity and your lactate shuttling the power that you can produce yes. um, by like shuttling. Purely
0: aerobic plus clearing lactic acid.
1: Yeah, so the, it's basically the aerobic component plus one hour of the anaerobic component mm-hmm. is your FTP, whereas your anaerobic threshold is the, the wattage at which you start producing lactic acid, and you can't. You can't do all of the consumption from oxygen,
0: right?
1: So, I mean, you always do make some lactic acid, but it's a it's effectively zero up until that point,
0: right? It's yeah. You can you can manage it to a point, and at a certain yeah. point it overflow. It's like I'm a bucket, right? And mm-hmm. at a certain point you're like emptying the bucket with a little cup, and you're you're keeping up, yeah. right? And at a certain point you just can't empty that bucket fast enough. Yeah, the more, water's pouring into and the bucket right? pouring over. Yeah,
1: yeah. So um, that's also an interesting thing to think about because. Um, one discussion was: Should you climb at your threshold, or should you climb at 90% of your threshold, or 95? And what is sweet spot? And all of these questions, and um, this uh, thinking about the fact that your anaerobic threshold is not the same as your FTP. If you train below your anaerobic threshold, you're only training your aerobic system, which for a lot of you know triathletes, ultramarathon runners, uh, endurance cyclists, that's the limiter for a lot of us, mm-hmm. and so thinking about staying below, for me, it's 303, staying below that number um, is going to like force you to improve on that engine, which if mm-hmm. that's your goal, you should probably look to stay there, yeah. so, and then also humble brag, uh, 4.3 watts per kilo, nice. um, and that's for the anaerobic threshold, as mm-hmm. opposed to, I think I'm 4.5 for FTP. FTP, and then like 4.7 for 20 minutes, so. Okay getting there, you know, and yeah, I mean, um, I think they said 4.8 is the magic number for road racing Cat Ones, uh, which I mean, for FTP or for, for which, for which
0: one of those values? Oh,
1: uh, I think for FTP. Okay. Yeah. So I'm 0. 0.3 Watts per kilo
0: away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I have
1: my Cat Ones, so, um, you know, okay. it's not a hard and fast rule, but as,
0: yes, as, as are many things, right? Like you max. It's yes. use, It's useful, but it doesn't determine the outcome of a race.
1: Yeah. So and then um, what did I, I had another person say? If you want to be a pro, literally every single pro has five watts per kilo, and that's just like gets you in the door. And then uh, you gotta have a lot more than that to start making an impact. So.
0: Yeah, I guess that's that seems believable.
1: Yeah. Um. And yeah, I mean to be pack fodder, I could believe that, right? And mm-hmm. then if you want to be in the top ten. Can be a lot more than that. So, well,
0: and there's always this question about when right, you talk about VO2 max. It's not necessarily how big the number is. It's how long you can stay at 8, a big percentage of set number.
1: Yeah. BF so, um, I also have on here the um, it gives your percent of your VO2 max for your aerobic threshold. Mm-hmm. So, for me, I'm at 82.2 percent of my VO2 max for so. my. Aerobic threshold. Uh-huh. Um and I guess this is another thing that makes pros unique is is their aerobic threshold ninety five percent or is their FTP ninety-five percent of their VO2 max? Oh, right. So yeah, um that's one big thing that they found like across the board with Tour de France riders is their their FTP as a percent of their VO2 max. Uh-huh. So your VO2 max stays relatively constant, assuming your weight doesn't change, is that correct?
0: Oh no, your your VO2 max can change, right? Like your VO2, your, like your yep. VO2 max change, but theoretically we all have some limit, right? That's okay. somewhat genetically determined. Okay. At least that's the thought. So it's like we can all go out and train, mm-hmm. but we will all at some point butt up to our genetic potential for yeah. our VO2 max.
1: And that's the absolute in um, milliliters per minute.
0: Yeah, I mean, although you could probably argue that it also has there's some absolute for your um, milliliters per kilo, right? Like, okay. I so the way I think about it is this, like, okay, you're you're at some body weight right now. You can continue to lose weight to a point, at which you will, if you continue to lose weight beyond that point, you will not be as strong. Yeah. Right, like you you will lose strength and like you will become ill basically. Okay. Um, and then you will not be healthy, and your VO2 max will go down because your body mm-hmm. won't support it. So like, yeah. y- yes, if you you take the absolute, you know, oxygen processing capacity that you have, and then the absolute minimum weight at which you can maintain your health, yeah, that would be your theoretical ceiling. maximum ceiling for VO2 okay. max.
1: So professional cyclists get very close to that ceiling, I assume. Yes. Um Well, and and they peak in that they lose those last two percent of body fat yeah. for the Tour de France, yeah. and If they stayed there after the Tour de France, that's when they'd start to get sick. So even sometimes they get into the sick um, portion. But so they have that absolute number. And say you get to 95% of that, or 98% of that true total number, then how close is your FTP to that? Is a very good indicator.
0: Yes, right. That's determining. Like that's that's where having a higher VOT max is helpful, right? It's, it's, mm-hmm. But it particularly matters that a guy with a B lower VOT max can beat you if, yeah, if he that gives, percent, he can ride closer yeah, and that percent yeah. is higher. And,
1: yeah. yeah. So that's really interesting. And, and I mean, I have traditionally been an anaerobic rider. So to start to to start to start understand this aerobic stuff, you aerobic people, um, I guess I understand it and I appreciate it. Um, I'm just looking forward to getting better at it. so.
0: Fair,
1: fair enough. Right. <laughs> um, and then another thing here is um, that inside uses fat max, which is a, a zone of maximum fat metabolism. Okay. So if we're the next page has charts on uh, a couple different charts, and one of the big ones is fat and carbohydrate combustion, yep. which I was under the impression that I didn't feel that this chart was correct initially when I first looked at it, based on um, my previous understanding, but Basically, the way the chart works is um, it's a, an upside down U for fat combustion as your mm-hmm. wattage increases, and then uh, a basically a, an exponential curve upwards for carbohydrate recruitment. Mm-hmm. And so, this the area under both curves, the sum of that is the total energy yeah, production. Energy, energy, so, um, the U, the U curve of um, fat is from basically from zero up to your threshold or up to your anaerobic capacity. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, you know, 95% of your threshold or so. And then once you get up to there, you only use carbs. Um, so this upside down U has a maximum point as as any you know uh, negative quadratic function does. And in that area, that's when you're going to burn the most fat. Mm-hmm. And the goal of that is... If you don't put that fat back in, you have less fat total, um, mm-hmm. and the goal is we want to we want to maximize that number um, because we want to lose as many grams of fat because fat is adipose t- tissue that doesn't make but you fast. Does not more. move your bike forward. Yeah,
0: but it's good for using for energy.
1: Yes, but the argument's been made, right, that um, you have way too, way more than Yes, even the leanest
0: person has plenty of fat mass for producing energy.
1: The biggest thing, though, is um, normal metabolic functions and normal organ functions. And like you were saying, you start losing too much weight, and your body has such low fat levels that your organs just don't do what they're supposed to do.
0: So this concept, um, we also see in physiology as the respiratory exchange ratio. So... Okay. You talk about the oxygen versus carbon dioxide and what's going in and out, and you can also back into that number. And like, there's a curve with oxygen and carbon dioxide exchange that also instructs mm-hmm. you into what's happening um, at the metabolic level.
1: Okay. And does this have anything to do with the different engines that you're recruiting?
0: Uh, well, certainly, right? Because if you're aerobic, you're more, you're you're mm-hmm. capable of burning fat in the aerobic phase. Okay. As you get into glycolytic, you don't have the time to yeah. burn, to split the fat and do all, all the steps in mm-hmm. the energy cycle of burn attack, right? So that's why this is why you're starting to get more glycolytic processes that carbohydrate occur. Like intensity, but like there's right, this curve gets steeper at a point, which yeah. is getting the glycolytic process. And then we need you, you know, creatine phosphate doesn't figure in there, right? Because that's just a different
1: pathway. Yeah. And right? it's, it's um, so
0: fast and so, yeah. so short. Uh, so yeah, you're definitely getting into that anaerobic and um, that glycolytic okay. process when
1: you get into the higher carb. So yeah, and um, it's it's really interesting to think about um, when you are at this aerobic threshold um, or FTP, you're, your energy is only coming from sugar at that point. And so thinking about that, is that maybe part of our limiter for why FTP is an hour?
0: Uh, no, well, think of, so think about how much glycogen you have, right? I mean, theoretically, fully stored glycogen, you have, like...
1: Well, so, the, what, uh, 400 grams of carbs or something? I
0: would say, four or 500, yeah, depending on the yeah. between. Right, and the, and the, the, the amount liver, of muscle mass. Liver glycogen and, and muscle glycogen, yeah. how efficient you store it?
1: So, um, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, but one of the later charts, um, it gives percent fat percent carbs mm-hmm. for the different zones, and... If you look at anaerobic threshold, it's saying 266 grams of carbs per hour.
0: Yeah, I believe that.
1: So right, you should you should be able to do your FTP for two hours with your inherent glycogen stores, about,
0: or a little less. Yeah, but the, it depends on who you read and what you okay. read. Uh, lowering glycogen levels like lowering energy stores maybe a signal to the brain you know to the brain the brain's reading uh, to turn things down right it's like okay. hey you' getting low on fuel and you got to slow down a little bit because if you go slower I know you can sustain burning less carbohydrate and more fat and you have plenty of fat to burn so yeah. let me slow you down so mm-hmm. I think there's probably some um, subconscious. <clears throat>
1: Central governor. <laughs>
0: uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a fan of that theory. Okay. And, and, and that whole.
1: Um, yeah,
0: so. a whole other discussion for today. Yeah. So, but yes, I mean, I think if you think about that, I think the other thing about this chart that's interesting is it kind of proves the point it's really hard to exercise on just fat. Right? Like even at your lowest yeah. level there, you're still burning some carbohydrate.
1: Right. So, um, to burn, uh, you know, even a modest amount of fat you need for me, I, I should be eating about 60 grams of carbs to maintain my glycogen stores per hour at this maximal fat burning rate. Mm -hmm. So on my endurance fat, you know, I had lost four and a half kilos and I did specific rides that were, you just sit at your fat zone for four, four and a half hours Mm -hmm. and, um, try not to drop out of that zone and do not go above it either. Mm-hmm. and I was fueling with 60 grams of carbs exactly per hour, you know, mm-hmm. one, one bar every yeah. 20 minutes yeah. all the way through. And that's because the next day we were doing intervals, and I needed that glyc-
0: glycogen. Yeah, you need your stores topped off. Yeah.
1: So, but I still, you know, four times 60 or four and a half times 60 is still 240 grams. That's half a pound of sugar mm-hmm. um, that you need just to burn fat maximally. Mm-hmm. Um, so then to think... You know, I think that we're both on the carbohydrate train, but um, to think that you could get away with only using fat or having a carb-free diet seems to... Uh,
0: yes, there. I mean, adaptations can be made, physiology can change Yeah. to a point. I
1: think, I think that there's, you know, I and mean, one question I have is, um, uh, we, pro- we should probably save this for another uh, topic, but um, looking at like the highest performers where are they in this zone? How close are they to their threshold for an eight-hour, eight, what are the times for Ironman's, eight and a half, nine hours? Yeah. So how close are they to their threshold for that portion? Um, And are they really near that fat max zone or are they already on the edge of the bell curve and into the sugar, the high sugar portions? That's a a really interesting question. So, I mean, it might work for a more, um, a more like an age group rider who isn't, Scratching up towards their FTP, mm-hmm. uh, but maybe a professional, if if you know if they're doing 90% of their FTP, yeah, you're not really even using that much fat anymore. Um, you're you're out of that fat max yeah, so
0: Yeah, your fat or your fat burning rate is certainly declining. Yeah, at least traditionally that's what we would think.
1: Yeah, so that's interesting. Um, and then these other charts uh are also. Not quite as interesting, but um, just looking at sort of one of these is that your oxygen uptake versus your oxygen demand and looking at the disparity as you uh, move through your aerobic uh, threshold mm-hmm. and sort of, it's just a way of like, yeah, so when you're doing 400 watts, here's how much oxygen you need, and this is how much oxygen you can actually take
0: in, yep. and this
1: is why your legs hurt.
0: Um, yeah, uh, <laughs> this is why you're gasping for breath. Yeah. Because just
1: not enough. So... Um, and then um, another one is is just lactate accumulation charts, and um, it's a very steep curve once you hit your threshold, which makes sense as well.
0: So the funny thing about this chart is, if you look at your oxygen saturation of your, your hemoglobin, okay, it's probably not lower than ninety five percent at your max. Hemoglobin really aggressively hangs on. Like we always have a ton of oxygen um. there. I'll I'll let you borrow my pulse oximeter one day. You gotta around the train but like, you gotta put the thing on your finger, Okay. and like you can you know go until you feel like you can puke, and at the number, mm. and you you will be shy like you're like wait you're telling me that my blood cells are still holding on to like ninety seven percent oxygen like they're very saturated with oxygen. Okay. But why? Well, I. And I don't the know. curve is very steep later <laughs> on, but like like when when you really get into a severe need, the hemoglobin just gives up the oxygen very readily. Okay. Which like I more of a safety mechanism for preservation, but when we're doing things like exercising, just it, and if you go to altitude, it'll drop a little bit lower. But okay. generally speaking, it has to do with there's less, mm. there's less oxygen. And so you recession. think this is
1: also central governor? <laughs>
0: um, no, I think mean, I think there's a central governor, but I think there's also like some. Uh, Mechanisms in place that are more chemical. Okay. Right? Like in, in different gradients that are in play that affect that.
1: Yeah. Oh, right. so, it's, so it's just like a the, chemistry phenomenon.
0: Yeah. Um, it's a chemistry. Cool. Yeah. Not yeah. necessarily anything. Okay. That's neural. Because we yeah. know that if you expose your um, hemoglobin in acidic environment, it's more likely to release oxygen molecule. Well, sure, that makes sense because I'm now in. Yeah. It's worried like, about you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Interesting.
0: Or like holding your breath, is like a great example. Anyway, like you can do it. Like, yeah, pulse oximeters are really cheap on Amazon, like from Dux. Okay. Um, like you're like, oh, I'm just gonna hold my breath for as long as I can. When I feel like I can't hold my breath anymore, i look down at this pulse oximeter, and it should be low, right? Because every every mm-hmm. everything my body is telling me that I need to take a breath. It's surprisingly not that. Hmm. I mean, like maybe the elite people that do the crazy, you know, dieting yeah, and things, like stuff. They probably get a lot lower than you and I do, but like normal folks like us, we, we probably don't crack ninety.
1: Hmm, that's really interesting. And did you say that um, it will drop when you're like in an extreme like life or death situation? When yeah, when
0: you're in extreme situations. So like you're at okay. super high. If you are to climb on Everest, part of it is there's just not enough oxygen in the environment, so it's going to be lower. Yeah. Like yeah, if you're really starved for air, yeah, it's going to. Hmm. It's okay. Dissociate with yeah. that oxygen. Yeah. The ones you can use it.
1: Interesting. Um, okay. The next for inside, it, it's a, there's a, a web chart that shows the same stuff as, um, categorizing you against, um, the people in your range. For me, it was cat one domestic pro. Um, they also apparently have a world tour because they do this with a lot of world tour riders. They have like a separate world tour only, uh, chart, which is like even being allowed to be on that chart, right. is <laughs> like, you know, you're sort of winning at that point. Um, and then they have a, like an age grouper or um, like Cat 3, Cat 4 truck. Um, so another, they show a little bit of performance development. I only have two data points, so they're all straight lines. But um, assuming you ride for a pro team and they get you to do this every two months, um, you probably have pretty cool looking curves after a while.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and I wonder, like, of course we'd never have access to this, but um, people like Nairo Quintana or Thibaut Pino who have sort of like, the press is like they're the next big thing, and then two years later they're like not really the next big thing, and then the next year they're like pretty darn good. I'd like to see where all you know. Was I there wonder, yeah, is their table like all over the place, or um, is it something else? Was their limiter like
0: fueling properly, or like? Yeah, isn't it, it? That's an interesting question. You would think that the coaches that work with those guys. Eh, have the basics figured out, right? Like they can, yeah. they should be able to manage a tart like this and work out. Like, okay, it's your transfer in July. We're gonna you know, <laughs> peak these systems. This is the sort of training program you need. Yeah. So my my gut would be, yeah, there's, there's got to be something something else that was awry mm. there. Maybe I'm wrong, but. Yeah, or
1: just the standards are so high if you're 2% off, you look horrible. You right, now. yeah, when,
0: you, when you're expected to win a Tour de France or something like that, uh, a yeah. little a little bit goes a long way. And then I think also a long race like that, like once you get so far behind, which is a, isn't a whole lot. Yeah. Like, I think psychologically it's pretty hard to...
1: Yeah, and that's one thing that... Um, you know, people were talking about like what's two seconds between two different wheel sets, and in a bike race, winning by two seconds is you know ten or twenty. You you really beat them, you know, to beat somebody by two seconds. Whereas, um, yeah, looking, you know, oh, what's two seconds on a twenty-minute climb um, versus what's two seconds across the finish line. Mm-hmm. Um, the one's embarrassing. The other one's like, oh, you put in a good effort. Yeah. Um, so yeah, once you drop off a certain amount, you're like, you've really lost. You just bag it and yeah. So there's that.
0: Yeah, but I think the psychology plays a big part at that. I mean, mm-hmm. even for us, really, if you're if you're following your friend up a climb, right, and there's a little gap, there's a little daylight, then okay, you can you can suck it up, right. Mm-hmm. And then if there's a lot of daylight, they're like, eh, I'm just gonna yeah. get to the top here. <laughs> we'll just it's... shut
1: this down a little bit. Yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> will we'll you know, we'll ride the rest of the ride together.
1: Yeah. Um, so then um, the last section is, I believe this is the last section. Um, there's training zones. Um, and they actually use eight zones, and they're not exclusive zones, but uh, some of the big things are your lactate shuttling rates. And we talked about this a little bit. The lower number is when you start to produce enough lactate to start shuttling it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lactate, that lower lactate shuttling level is also the center of your fat max. Okay. So I, it's about, the, I don't think they're necessarily exactly, correlated
0: they're, but they're near right yeah near the peak of that
1: curve. so um, on these these four-hour fat max rides I'm also working on my lactate shuttling and so I'm teaching my body to remove lactic acid from my muscles mm-hmm. so that um, I can even if I produce the same amount I'm able to remove more of it so I can have a larger anaerobic component mm-hmm. so it's interesting that um, A a larger anaerobic component of your FTP.
0: Larger, yes.
1: Because you can get rid of more lactic acid. acid Yeah. Yeah. So um, one thing with your anaerobic capacity that it's your, it's not just how much lactic acid you can handle. So uh, I don't, what are, do you know what the units are for lactic acid? Uh,
0: Millimoles per liter? Um. That might make sense. Yeah, I think it's... it's it, I know it's millimoles is the measure of lactic acid, but I don't know. Yeah, so I think the second's per milliliter. I
1: want to say the range for athlete, for cyclists is like 6 to 15. That
0: sounds about
1: right. And so Chris Broom is 6. Um, so he... he And, and this number is the, the maximum amount of lactic acid you can sustain in your muscles and continue to fire them. Mm-hmm. Because eventually your brain or your muscles or somebody says... Okay, stop. Um,
0: Both, right? So the acid we yeah. talked about earlier makes muscles weaker. They can't contract as aggressively. And then okay. Brain kicks in, the governor kicks in. And says, yeah. Yeah, not a good idea. We
1: don't want you to kill yourself So mm-hmm. slow down. Um, so someone like Chris Broome can't physically produce that much lactic acid. Mm-hmm. Whereas a rider who specializes in that can produce up to like 15 or so. Um, and those are the people who just like yeah, lactic acid can just seep through their body. And, um, those are the ones that you see with the really scrunched up faces at the end of the efforts. Um, <laughs> you, know, you, you know those kinds of riders. Um, but so if you want to get your, get this anaerobic engine up, you can either remove lactic acid at a faster rate so mm-hmm. that you can produce more and then it gets pushed out, or you can get better at handling higher numbers, or you can do both. And so, these are two different ways that you can attack your anaerobic capacity. It's cool that you can do aerobic work and lose weight and work on your lactate shuttling Uh all at once. Um, So, I'm a big fan of... I I did a lot of uh, long endurance rides last year, but Uh this year, I really focused on staying right at mid-endurance, mid mid Uh to high endurance. And yeah, it's really good for training in my opinion, if you can find three days a week to do these four-hour... And you got to stick right at none of these uh, climbing, descending... You know, don't descend for 20 minutes and then climb for 40 at
0: your FTP. Yeah, it's, it's not a function of average power. It's a function of staying in that steady state zone where you're maximizing your fat brain capacity.
1: Yeah, and uh, you end up finding, like, two loops that work. But, well, at least where we live. And... Um, So you have these two loops, and you just do them, you know, three times a week, Mm -hmm. and uh, you lose weight and you shuttle lactate better, I guess.
0: And so, just for reference, I know you have a lot of zones there. That's that's zone two by most everybody else's standards that you're talking about. Yeah.
1: So um, zone two or endurance base, even Mm -hmm. um, it's right towards the top of base. uh, Okay. Zone two. Yeah. Um, And then. The other stuff's pretty standard, Um, you have like your high anaerobic which is sort of um, your VO2 max area Mm -hmm. and um, I also during this phase was doing a lot of um, 40-20s, so 10 minutes where you do 40 seconds on, 20 seconds off, Mm -hmm. but the on is just your VO2 max as opposed to like the traditional Tabata is... Um, just full gas, yep. like two hundred percent FTP. Mm-hmm. Um, so these are, but those are also only four minutes. So this yeah. is ten minutes, yep. six six like six forty total, um, uh, uh, like time at VO two max. Okay, and you do like five of them. That sounds terrible. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you just go to your favorite climb and you go up for ten minutes and roll uh, down and do it so again. 120-ish FTP for 40 seconds? I, I'm doing like 130 because okay. I have a high VO2 max. But okay. um, yeah, 120-130% of your mm. FTP for 40 seconds. And then 20 seconds, and the 20 seconds should be at your lactate shuttling number because your goal is to shuttle the lactate. Mm-hmm. Um, so you don't want to just stop. You yeah. want to do your high endurance, which mm-hmm. can either make you feel a lot better or make you feel a lot worse. Um, because we all love to just let our legs just sit, mm-hmm. um, but keeping them moving and keeping them in endurance zone is actually going to be better for them.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then you do you end up getting like 36 minutes at your VO2 max in one um, one day.
0: Yes, so, uh, that's that's similar. I did some research around doing 30 and 15, similar setup to yeah. that. Um, and then it was they had a very specific protocol where they did three sets, three minutes rest in between each set. Um, okay. It's 13 times 30 seconds in each. So we like about 20 minutes. It's like, and they, then okay. the, their comparison was as like a standard length, I want to they did. But whatever it was, it was like standard length, three to five minutes, you to match the intervals. Um, and the total time of get match was the same. But this shorter interval group had much better Response? Uh, response.
1: To mm, interesting. Yeah, so that was what I was going to ask next, if you knew anything about, um, is it just time at zone? Um, obviously not, based on this paper that you said, but um, to a certain extent, is it? are we just trying to figure out a way to spend as much time at VO2 max as possible?
0: I. I. So I think, yes. I think it, it is a function of the time at the zone, mm-hmm. um, but it's probably also a function of Honestly, how much time are you at that zone? Right? Like if you do these longer intervals, I think the second theory around these shorter versus longer is if you do these shorter bursts with with some short recoveries in, in there, each time you, it's basically more tolerable for you to do it. Like you will you will honestly for those forty seconds and then accumulate it for that six minutes, okay be much closer to your target than if I'd asked you to do six and a half minutes. Straight right or
1: four okay. four minute
0: intervals at that level right you probably yeah. you probably see more decay in your power and you probably mm-hmm. wouldn't tolerate as much total time.
1: Yeah, that's and, the big thing is that
0: you know like right because you yeah. look at the, the or you look at anything in the, the training zones right there's like your target and then if you drop more than five percent then you're done with your workout or yeah. X percent depending on what the zone is. Um, so I think with these shorter intervals it's much easier to stay honest and say true to the yeah. goal that you're trying to achieve. And that what probably happens is it probably is a function of how much time you spend in the zone or at the target, um, target number, but yeah. it's you actually do it in the shorter setup versus the longer setup, there's a there's a decay and there's a drop-off. And it's probably yeah. just not, it's not as effective. You end up in kind of like high threshold zone, you know, like subtly mm-hmm. above threshold for some of it versus actually at the, yeah, that's the really level interesting. That the VO2 max adaptation.
1: Because doing like a true five minute VO2 max yeah. is like really tough on your legs. Mm-hmm. Um, and would you do seven of
0: them, right? Yeah. You're talking about 36 minutes. <laughs> yeah. No, <laughs> I wouldn't. Right. And even if you. I think you would find that you would decay below the level that was. Yeah. You, know, it, you weren't even, actually you weren't even in VO2 yeah, max anymore. Yeah. Right? yeah.
1: So that's really interesting. And then. Um, see the last page is just the raw test data which uh the most interesting part of this is it gives percent aerobic and anaerobic and so at um your anaerobic threshold you are like seven percent or it's saying i'm seven percent and then um for my 20 minute i was nine percent anaerobic
0: it's like some right like how much of the total is okay it's mostly it's mostly aerobic power yeah it's probably that's probably a weird calculation. I'm just guessing, probably a weird calculation of like the total energy. It's not, yeah. not it's like not a time calculation, right? But it's like the total energy that came from your aerobic versus your anaerobic systems in mm-hmm. that time window was yeah.
1: that Yeah, and um one of the I don't I don't know if people know this, but um you know for my four minute effort, uh, I did four hundred twenty four watts and it was twenty percent anaerobic. So even this four-minute VO2 max is 80% of 80% aerobic recruitment. Mm-hmm. So oh, I only do short punchy climbs. Well, your short punchy climb is 80% aerobic. So you better be working on your FTP and you better be working on your your lactate shuttling and stuff because that's still 80% of the value mm-hmm. of
0: it. So and basically, the only thing where you can say like, oh, I, I don't care for aerobic is it's, if it is yeah. purely uh, your phosphate system, then mm-hmm. aerobic it doesn't really fly into the picture that much, right? It's like yeah. it's yeah, it's, it's trivial. You, yes, you are activating type one fibers, but not mm-hmm. not in the same. Like yeah, when you're doing a VO two max, like VO two max for a reason, right? It's the maximum oxygen consumption.
1: Hmm. Yeah. So it should. There you is should, a, you there's a, think there's a huge aerobic component to, yeah, to yeah. it. So that's really interesting. And then um, you know, if you say, oh, I'm a five minute effort kind of guy. Um you need to unfortunately you need to work on both your aerobic components and your anaerobic components um, because you can get value out of both of them. Yeah, so you,
0: you can pull there's there, you have a few levers that you can pull to change that yeah. performance absolutely. So, uh
1: yeah, so that's your inside report. Um I think it's fun there's a lot of learning to get out of it. Um I'm a little, uh, some of the stuff you, I'm not as convinced about, um, and everybody likes to have their own metrics and, uh, their own ways of categorizing you as a writer. And I personally find a lot of this stuff to be a bit tedious in that, um, look, did you cross the line first or did you not? Like, that's the question at the end of the day when you're driving home and, um, I think that sometimes we lose sight of that with too many numbers and too many mm-hmm. phrases and stuff like that. At the same time, um, if your novel way of describing me as a rider helps me understand myself better and puts me in a position, like without taking this test, I wouldn't understand what it means to totally burn through your glycolytic capacity, mm-hmm. uh, and I know what that feels like, and that and that has made you know that makes you a more mature rider to know what it feels like. When you burn through these different systems so you know there are advantages to it but it's not the, the bible or what, of, of cycling or whatever
0: no i mean i think at, at this point in the game if you have a power yeah. meter and you have a heart monitor there is so much data that you can get about your writing mm-hmm. it's just a matter of analyzing and, and probably having you know a good coach or a good mentor that can talk you through it. There's a lot to be learned uh, just looking at those numbers and having some understanding of physiology, having, or talking with somebody mm-hmm. that has a good foundational understanding of the physiology and also like, so you see that. And then have some race data too, right? Like, see where that didn't go well. That has to do with your aerobic system or your anaerobic system yeah. or, or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, the, the data is the there for all of us. It's just a matter of having somebody that's got the, the right background to help yeah. you understand what's going on.
1: Yep. And then the only other interesting point that I had was um, I was explaining the test to one of my teammates. It was like, look, you burn through your glycolytic capacity and then you only have, and he was like, we spent millions of years evolving and thousands of years, you know, improving the safety of humans by having more civilization and technology and And then we're so bored that we go out and we choose to completely burn through this engine that's supposed to save our lives in the incident of a, you know, extreme attack uh, for fun. And he's like, we're like in a really weird place, us cyclists, you know.
0: I mean, you could say the same of like any recreational athlete, right? Like man from 10,000 years ago, like, why are you spending all this energy (laughs) doing that? Like. Yeah. Is your food out? Like, are you chasing your dinner or something? Or, or what? Like, no, you're not chasing your dinner. Is somebody chasing you? No. Like, what the hell are you doing? Yeah, yeah. You have so much time on your hands, you can do that.
1: <laughs> yeah, and like you're not worried about minimizing your,
0: your energy yeah. or whatever. Well, no, I'm trying to burn away my extra fat stores. <laughs> yeah. I don't do that for a long winter. I have a furnace. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a, a different time in, in the human time scope. Yeah. Right. Our our hobbies would have been spent chasing and foraging for our, our dinner and building our uh, yeah. civilization. Well not our even hobby. they're not even hobbies, they're just like essential needs, yeah. right? Yeah. No, that's that's true. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So
1: Sorry, it's your turn.
0: All right, so I want to talk a little bit about kind of carbohydrate timing. Uh, just like high high level and how we can maybe Take advantage of the physiology around that a little bit to squeeze out some additional performance from what we're already doing with our training.
1: Okay, so, so carbohydrate timing is when you eat the carbohydrates.
0: Exactly. Okay. Uh, so I think there's there's some obvious things, at least from our perspective. You know, okay. Right? We're we're on the kind of carbohydrate bandwagon, uh, okay. if you, if you will. Right? We're not on the like. I'm just going to eat fat and have a high-performance bandwagon. Although that that exists, right? There are people that totally subscribe to I that. I think that
1: it's not. I don't think it exists for cycling.
0: and it,
1: for, uh, for racing. It, it doesn't exist for a
0: crit. For a brevet okay. maybe. Okay. If, if you're going really long, really slow. And there, there's some interesting research that's been done around race walking. Uh, okay. Pulling from Endure. Uh, they talk about that yeah. a little bit. So... Apparently it can happen. Certainly, I agree that the body will adapt. You know, I mean, there are, about civilizations, there are civilizations in the world that do strenuous physical work mm. and eat very high fat diets. And I'm, I'm thinking about our yeah. like native Alaskan population, mm. people with a post-Arctic circle, really high fat diets, right? They yeah, they just a, eat fish, right? Yeah, right. Fish. Yeah. And there's, so there's not a lot of uh, carbohydrate-dense sources of energy when your ground is covered by snow most of the year.
1: Yeah. And well, for me personally, I don't I know uh, one ultra marathon runner, they looked at her diet and it was ninety five percent carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. I don't agree with that. I I eat lots of pumpkin seeds and peanuts and almonds and avocados. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's a lot of value in, in fat in that.
0: Oh absolutely.
1: So um, I, I think that it's a balance, but it's not. It it should be during the race season, 60 percent carbs, in my
0: opinion. I'm, I'm I'm totally on board with that. Uh, I I I think you should probably, you know, carb load to a certain extent. You should at least have your glycogen stores topped off before yeah, you go out race. for a long yeah. a big race or a long ride, right? Yeah. You're out for a really long train ride. Your key training days, you need to be, have and your like especially your high intensity training days, right? I think yeah. That, I think we can agree on, on that. So then the question is, okay, is there something else we can do in, in playing with this? And so we'll, I think we would also agree that after your long ride, you probably need to replenish your carbohydrates so you can go ride the next day.
1: Yeah, so the main reason you replenish your carbohydrates is so that your glycogen stores uh, are full
0: tomorrow. Off for tomorrow. What if
1: you have a recovery ride tomorrow?
0: That's where we're going.
1: Oh, okay.
0: So there is evidence that this is like, now you've heard the uh, "sleep high, train low" thing with altitude, Yep. right? So it's kind of a like train low idea of carbohydrates. So like train within a low carbohydrate state. There's some evidence that shows that you increase the mitochondrial biogenesis. Right, and mitochondria is the energy generating unit of the cell. So if you have more mitochondria, in theory, better aerobic capacity. More energy to be produced at that aerobic. So, okay. That's this is the theory. So the thought would go like this: I have my my long hard training ride, I carb load. I have like a collecting stores topped off the night before. I do all the normal things that I would do. I take my 60 grams of carbohydrates during the ride, you know, per hour, mm-hmm. and I, for how many other hours? Four, five, six, whatever. Okay. I come home. Oh, you're a professional
1: cyclist now. Yeah, five, five six-hour six training Exactly. It. Yeah. Okay.
0: You know, or the, the one time I ride a century every year, right? Yeah. Um, and then I, I top off my lectin sores with grocery recovery. Okay. Now, my evening meal, I don't go high-carbohydrate. I have a lower-carbohydrate meal, right? Okay. I'm, not, I'm like, so I'm depleting a little bit.
1: Well, are you depleting or just not I'm continuing not, to, not refill. to refill? Okay. So I'm not
0: continuing to refill. Okay. So I wake up in the morning, and then I go do my recovery ride. I'm mm-hmm. low-intensity. Low I don't I don't eat anything no breakfast before I go so okay. I'm, I'm basically on a and say, right well, I haven't really eaten any substantial carbohydrates for 12 or more hours yeah and this is where this evidence comes that you can get increased mitochondrial biogenesis in this state okay now because now what do you have to burn right just hopefully in the fat burning zone yeah yeah you're, you know, you're probably you're predominantly burning fat at lower intensity yep there's not a whole lot of carbohydrate. Store available mm-hmm. that is, but not not as much readily available. Yeah. So now you're you're almost forcing your body to try to burn more fat. Mm-hmm. And then the the other theoretical benefit here is you're gonna try to train your body to oxidize more fat for energy. So hopefully the thought would be you're gonna shift that curve you were talking about the going uh, you shift that to the right a little bit.
1: Hopefully it shift okay. to the right and also.
0: Lift it up. Lift it up a little bit. Yeah. So it's a little taller curve.
1: So the area under the curve so is bigger. the... and Well, the area yeah. under the curve is the... Uh, is, well, okay. So for a, partic- a particular wattage, yeah. the, the sum of the area under those two curves is the total yeah. energy. Correct. So if you make the fat curve larger, yep. you have more of your total energy comes from fat. Correct. So why would this... I know why this would be good, but why would this be well,
0: good? Because now you can spare your carbohydrates. Right, so. as you go, so you're, you're producing, so the way I think about it is this, I have to ride in the pack at a certain rate during my race, mm-hmm. and preferably when I'm riding the pack, I'd like to be burning as much fat as possible, sparing as much of my glycogen as possible for later, for when I need to make that attack, I mean, they, yeah. that decisive move, I want to be able to, because I'm then gonna go into this high aerobic or anaerobic, i gonna be burning Basically, predominantly or all carbohydrate, I want to have more carbohydrates on board. Yeah. And my glycogen to be able to go really hard. So, I think more and
1: longer. we talked about this a little bit. So, you have your four to 500 grams in your liver and muscles. Yep. And then you have whatever you can so, ingest yep. uh, during the race, which it should be about 90 if you can handle it, yep. 75 to 90 grams. But um, then somebody attacks right when you're eating, and you only get sixty this hour. Yeah. Um. So it's not always if you're doing an Ironman, you should be able to eat your maximum number, but because
0: yeah, well, you're facing yourself, right? Yeah. Uh, I don't, I've never done an Ironman. I don't think the attacks is that more of a, a war of attrition. So yeah, to speak? I think Sound so. Like a, a bike race, right.
1: I think the attacks are like an hour long, uh, <laughs> and it's just like I'm gonna do. Uh, a, you know, 5%, blocks, 5 yeah, blocks, yeah. Do 5% harder, or 3% harder for this hour. It's and all drop it, yeah, yeah,
0: distance, yeah.
1: Um, but, so you should be able to get, so the goal is I have, is if it's a four hour race, 75 times four for easy math is, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say 250, <laughs> this is why you don't do math uh, live. 300 plus 500, also easy math for the liver and muscle, glycogen, yep. so 800 grams of carbs,
0: is all cars. you get yep.
1: um, from carbohydrate. Yep. But it's a little bit less because your central governor, when you get down to 100, is like, uh, you know, stop. Yep. Um, so 700, 800 grams of sugar is all you get. And if you're doing tempo in the field and that uses some sugar, and then the last 30 minutes, apparently, uh, one of my friends was saying that uh, in pro like domestic pro races, Mm -hmm. it'll be like kind of leisurely like tempo, you know, high endurance. And then the last 45 minutes are just mayhem, like just bodies everywhere. No. Um, but like incredibly difficult for 45 minutes, but you've just ridden for three and a half hours, um, at tempo. So, uh, you need a lot of sugar for that last 45 minutes.
0: Right. And if you can be burning preferentially more fat, In that first three hours, or however long it is, yeah, that allows you to conserve that sugar for when you you really want it, right? For optimal
1: performance. Yeah, so you could be doing like 250, 300 grams, or well, if you're a bigger rider, even more in that last hour, if it's like a full gas crazy hour.
0: Oh yeah, I mean, an hour? Oh yeah, I mean, I'd be... I was at the limit. Like, yeah, definitely that, right? It's like thing, like in kilojoules. Yeah. yeah. I'd probably get close to fifteen hundred ish.
1: Okay. Yeah. And so you're like the the top end of our example. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So three four hundred grams of carbs, and we only have eight eight hundred to start with. Right. So you need to save half of your carbs for the last hour
0: of the race. Right. Which is okay. where, like, so if I can burn, so let's see. So it says three hour, three hours, and then. Oh, one hour really hard at the end. Yeah. So I can only burn like 100 ish grams of carbs per hour. per hour.
1: Yeah, which for me would be 70, 80. So a little bit over fat max. Yeah. If you do anything more than a little bit over fat max, which you have to because there's going to be attacks that you have to respond to and um, anaerobic portions and the hilly, the snappy parts of the race. Yeah. So if you get this curve up, uh, hopefully that that number, the amount of carbs you have available for the last hour goes
0: up. Yes. Um, how do we do this? So this is this idea of you some some days, and you, this is not your hard training days. Typically, this is going to be okay. your easier to be recovery days. You can probably be on some lower intensity longer rides. Okay. But again, you have to like balance it. You're going to go on a faster ride. So part of it is. You probably wanted to de- deplete your glycogen a little bit the day before on a harder training ride, so okay. it's like some some of this has to do with planning your training schedule accordingly. Okay. All right, so you're going to have a longer, or harder training ride on day one, we'll call it, and that's going to start to deplete your stores. Yeah. So and then that, and then you're not going to have a carbohydrate-rich dinner. Okay. So you're not fully replenishing. You're going to get yourself in a little bit of a fasted state, and I mean your breakfast before this training ride okay just
1: get up and go get
0: up and go but okay. low intensity right so it's not like a recovery or endurance zone okay. ride not necessarily an endurance ride by time but by, yeah so
1: sh- so endurance zone yeah not too long what how long, an long are these
0: hour maybe 90
1: minutes okay
0: um you, you, i think you also have to play with it i've i've done this you get, for me like i got to about an hour and I, the first couple times I did this, I always had a goo in my pocket. Okay. <laughs> because,
1: Safety goo. <Gil. laughs> <laughs> basically, right? It's
0: like yeah. my, my lifesaver, right? Because, um, yeah, I, I did it. I did it once. I'm like, oh, I'm going to push it a little further. Like, I pushed five minutes further. I was like, oh, no, I feel like yeah. I'm getting a little yeah. lightheaded here. I need to <laughs> take that goo right now. So I yeah. can stay at home. Uh, so I think it's, it's certainly something... I would highly recommend you take that that extra goo with you, just okay. or a banana or, or something, so you've got it in your pocket. Just, yeah. just in case you push it a little bit. You know, start at 60 minutes or so. I just okay. see, see how it goes. This is not fast, you're not like, this is like you yeah. talked about the the fat burning ride, right? You're just going slow and steady. So I, Yeah, many, and it's not average power,
1: it's time in
0: that zone. Yeah, so for yeah. me, like I tend to do this on days I ride to work. Like if I'm gonna ride to work in the morning, Okay. I just get on my bike, I'm not ready to go to work and I, I pedal. Mm-hmm.
1: And then for recovery you eat like a normal recovery.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that then then sort of the trick is done, right? You had this okay. low period of low carbohydrate and then fasting. Yep. In theory, in theory you start to get that stimulation for better vaccination, more mitochondria, better carbohydrate sparing. Okay. Shift in theory shift the curve and then you yeah. Replenish. Right. Because then it, ultimately, if you're doing a recovery day that way, you probably the next day or the following want to go out and have another hard, right? Yeah. So you, I mean, you're, you're recovering to do more training. do 2 intervals next day or yeah. something that's going to require that your glycogen levels are topped off again. Okay. So you, you do mm-hmm. that recovery ride. So it's basically like, if you think about a recovery ride as being, I know, it's the magic part, right? Where all your training takes effect. Mm-hmm. I think about this as, I squeeze a little bit more out of my recovery ride. Like, I was going to do that right yeah. now,
1: right? Well, so that was my question. Um, do you think that it it reduces the effects of the recovery portion of the recovery ride? Or, two, um, if instead you were going to do, I'm, I'm thinking of this in terms of, um, you know, say you have a coach who's on board with you trying to recruit more fat. Uh-huh. Um, and they, what if they sacrifice a more important day um, for you to have this fasted hour and a half, two hour endurance day? Um, balancing out these things of maybe getting less recovery mm-hmm. in order to push your fat up. And then that lower recovery could make it more difficult for you to complete the workout the next day. Yeah. Or um, maybe you even just sacrifice a workout to try and do this, which will then you'll get less training stimulus. So, and then, you know, does it matter if you burn more fat if your FTP is 2% lower than it should be?
0: So, that's a great question. And I, think that's, I think there's a lot to unpack there. And I think it just depends on probably what your event is, right? I think if you said, okay. I'm trained to do lead belt, it's a long race, right? Mm-hmm. You, know, you get a big ass belt buckle, you finish under nine hours. So, I think that, that you may want to sacrifice a high intensity ride to go down this mm. path. I like, can make that argument. Say, like, I want to be the national crit champion. It's probably not a good idea. Yeah. Right? It doesn't fit with your training. Okay. Or with your, your your objective of your training. So I, I think, think you have to yeah. think about your training objective. And I can see someone like yourself, okay, I'm doing this road race, and doing these crits. This maybe comes in as part of a, a recovery block, or it comes in as some some mm. base training, like in your in your base season, it comes yeah. in as part of your training, where you, you focus this. Maybe you can you can inch that curve up a little bit. But I don't know that in season where you think like, hey, I need to max up my VH max, I need to bump up Mm. my anaerobic capacity, that you necessarily would want to uh, do this a lot. And I think on the the flip side, I can see where, so this is one, your case, like I wanna optimize performance. I could see in the world of someone who says, yeah, I wanna optimize performance, but I don't have a whole lot of time, where you say, okay, Every time you do a recovery ride, this is how you're gonna do your recovery ride. Because maybe, yeah. maybe we can, you know, like, you know, I understand you, know, you have eight hours a week to train. So yeah, how, and, how can we sort of hack it mm-hmm. a little bit to get you the most? Uh,
1: so you also, if you have less time to train, you can't. You won't really be putting the same stress on your legs anyway. Yeah. Uh, where if you do a four-hour rip or session, you need that recovery ride. Absolutely. Uh, but if you're doing an hour and a half of VO2 max intervals. Yeah, it
0: hurts, but you're not going to need the... It's a very different yeah. challenge. Okay. And then you can see where it's like, okay, now, with you did an hour half VO2 max, it's hard, but you did not have to do your ductile in the same way that you did with yeah. like, super long, like a four-hour really hard ride or a four-hour mm-hmm. race. So then there's it's, it's trade-offs, right? There's always trade-offs. Like, yeah. you know, if we could do VO2 max and air capacity and threshold intervals in the same week, yeah, and, yeah. and, you know... Handle it and get benefit from all those things we would, right? But we can't. We have to choose what we can okay. do and what what we what our goals are, right? Like, what's our objective? And we uh, we talked about this with the uh, long-term of development, right? Yep. Aligning our training with our objectives. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's just all balance, and this is possibly another tool that we can use.
1: If you're, but you you would say only if you're that type of rider, or you're focusing on those types of events. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it would be interesting. interesting if you you did this test, right, and you found like, wow, my fat max is really low. Like it's a mm-hmm. really low power output. Then I could I could see what you're making. I'm like, well, it would behoove me to raise that number a bit.
1: Just like independent of event type.
0: Yep, yeah. Yeah. Right.
1: If it's just unusually low. Yeah. Like okay. it would, yeah, it would behoove me to do that.
0: So I'm gonna add this to my training mm-hmm. a little bit. Um. I, I mean, I, yeah, I so said it's another tool I think in our our toolbox of things okay. we can play with and adjust and you know there's a there's a whole nother rabbit hole to go down about recovery and how much yeah how much recovery we need and should we do recovery modalities so what does that mean so okay so there's like i'm going to take a rest right like okay and there's like i'm going to do things like compression socks or you know supplements or how fast am I gonna take that protein drink after or I'm gonna go get it in the hot tub or all these other yeah. things that are you know, maybe supposed to make our recovery better. Mm-hmm. So one argument against this is, well, I have this workout stimulus. It's a stress to the body. If I then go do recovery things, whatever whatever you want to call that, we'll call it recovery things, yeah. potentially I decreased like the length that there was a, a stimulus for change, right? I accelerated my recovery okay so it's good so I can go out and work out hard tomorrow possibly Mm -hmm. but does it impair the benefit that I got from my workout
1: so you're saying like only because our muscles feel like absolute crap that's the reason that our we would get we would get more stimulus from that whereas I this is true for ice baths is that correct
0: yeah, and like there's some studies I've seen where with resistance training, if you take an anti-inflammatory, it okay. diminishes the performance benefit.
1: So they had two groups, one group, both groups did the same sets, the one took
0: anti-inflammatory, anti-inflammatory
1: afterwards, and then they had lower one rep max values after eight weeks
0: or whatever. Basically, yeah. Okay,
1: so that's not good if you're doing these habits,
0: um, I Great. assume. And so the questions, there's, there's multiple questions out there. As right? like, how much change do these recovery modalities actually have? Right? Is this like, if it's psychological, feel good, and doesn't affect our physiology that much, then great, but keep doing yeah. it. Right? I think we might need some more investigation there from a, a science standpoint. Okay. Like some of the studies on that are, you know, yeah, at best.
1: and, and well, RPE is interesting because does it affect competition performance? I personally believe that I don't really feel pain when I race, you get in that gladiator mode, you just, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's, you're more limited. So what is RPE? You know, Oh, I feel better today. It doesn't really mean anything in a competition. Uh, whereas training though, it could be the difference between that last interval set. Um, yep. you know, especially if your coach said it's optional and you don't feel too good. Yeah, probably not going to do it, <laughs> but if your legs feel great because your brain says they feel great, you're probably going to do it. Yeah.
0: That's, so for me, my metric is heart rate variability. Like, okay. You got, uh, got another day. Next, like,
1: next week's topic. <laughs> sure. Yeah, I mean, so
0: that, that for me is I've done it for a long time and I trust it. Like, I've had enough times I've looked at it and like, I don't know, like, to feel marginal day, but look, my heart variability number looks pretty good. Mm-hmm. All right, I'm going to go train. And, you know, nine times out of ten, when I get that situation and I'm like, all right, I you need to suck it up and train today because that's what's on your schedule, yep. it goes fine. Right? It's not like, you know, I, I warmed up, I got into it, and I was fine. It wasn't like, if I had just gotten with what my mind said, I'd be like, oh, no, I going to take a recovery day today. day. Yeah. I'm, I'm feeling pretty good, but got yeah, I'm doing fine, whatever, it's all, all good. So, mm-hmm. like, whatever whatever it is, it only has to be heart variability, but I think you have to find your, your metric or the thing that you trust um, that's, right. that can't be biased, Yeah. right, and, and then go with that and use that as your cue for training if it's TSS okay. or if it's... Whatever it is, I think you gotta find that and then go with that.
1: Hmm. Okay.
0: This that's what I feel like. There's, like I said, there's enough data out there for us all. We did. I think you have, if you're gonna be data driven, you have to find the data points that are reliable and just believe them at the end of the day.
1: Hmm. Yeah. Or uh, well, I hire a coach because yeah, I don't. I I'm not very good on this data stuff. Um, because I've, you know, I. I've had conversations where it's like, oh, you're not, you're not doing well because this, you know, and they point at your uh, CTL chart. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm like, no, I'm not doing well because my hips hurt, you know, halfway through my FTP test. And, and then I just have bad power because my back hurts. Mm-hmm. And um, they're like, no, it's because your CTL is low. And it's like, no, it's, you know, and um, so how useful is the data if your limiter is not data? Data,
0: you know. Yeah. Well, I, I guess the question is: is that answer in the data? Maybe.
1: Hmm. Like that, the drop-off in cadence on
0: my like yeah. 20-minute. Does, does that say something? Yeah. There's something. So. so, and then that just <laughs> okay. may be a function of the data is there, but it's the interpretation that's hard. Right? It, yeah. It, it, you know, I think it, it always requires some introspection from you, right? Like, hey, I see that your cadence dropped off at, you know, 14 minutes in. Mm-hmm. Oh huh, well, why that happen? Oh yeah, you know what? my back started hurting. Oh okay, mm-hmm. these things are correlated, right? Yeah. And then we can make a a wiser interpretation of what's mm-hmm. what's there.
1: So then, here's your hot take: is uh, get a coach who is willing to ask you why your if you know why your cadence dropped, uh, as opposed to just looking at it.
0: Yeah, I yeah I think that's kind of the biggest thing with data in sports, right? Is like look at look at the data, and then. Ask, like, what's what's true of this data? Like, what, what can I know? Okay. What can I know from this data? And then, what's the actionable thing from it? Right? Like, is this mm-hmm. an actionable? One? And then ask your athlete. Yeah. So, how do you feel? Crappy? Yeah. Okay. When we see this number, it means you feel crappy because you know.
1: Hmm. Yeah. And um, I wonder if, like, in these longer events, like, why didn't you have power in that last hour or the power that we thought you would? And, Um, you know, maybe it's because their training isn't as good. They haven't done enough long rides, or maybe it's their fueling was off or their hydration was off. Um, yeah, finding the actionable step. It's not too hard to figure out where you just look at where the power number drops off. Right. Um, but it's why and how do we, you know, how do we have it not happen next time?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's one thing to feel like, oh yeah, I dropped my bottle, and, and right, I had all these mm-hmm. problems, or like, I dropped my chain at that point, and I had to chase back, and then it's a different thing, it's like, oh yeah, I had amazing legs, but clearly my power did not, right? Yeah, it's just these like, things. I just didn't
1: have, couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah. yeah,
0: so I think we can we can learn a lot with a little bit of introspection uh, with yeah. with the data, and you know hopefully somebody wise at our side to guide us through that. Mm-hmm.
1: And that brings up uh, my next week's topic, which I'm... I think I'm going to talk about um, uh, athletes' journals. Okay. Um, what you should be doing, and I personally don't do a very good job of that. But um, I might as well do some research and present it to uh, to everyone.
0: Cool. So, so. I guess I I'm on heart rate variability next week, which is
1: which is fine. Yeah. I love it. Well, and yet I've I've already heard you talk about it a little bit, and yeah, you're really into it. So. Yeah,
0: um, <laughs> it's not it's not that limitation like anything, but like I said, mm-hmm. I done enough and I, I feel pretty good about it and also right the, the introspection piece of, of learning a little bit about what it means for me yeah, uh, I think it's, um, it's, built, it's helped me build trust in it. Hmm. okay cool so, alright well what's up for next week yeah as always thanks for listening and we'll catch up with you
1: soon alright have a nice day outro yeah.